Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. We're making our way through summer. Turkey season has finally ended. Get through the next couple of months. Better days will be here before we know it. We are proudly brought to you by the one and only Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, Ducks Unlimited has worked towards one goal, skies full of waterfowl, today, tomorrow, and forever. It's a daunting challenge and one our supporters take very seriously because to them, nothing is more important than full skies and all starts in our local events. To find an event near you or join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org. DU is a proud sponsor of the Big Honker Podcast and Duck Hunters Everywhere. Since 1937, they've conserved 15 million acres of land. You imagine the drought the last couple of years. If we wouldn't have had a DU, what would it be like? They're fighting for the duck numbers. Yep. Fighting for the duck hunters and the duck numbers. So, uh-huh. Duck hunters are the best conservationists in the world. No doubt about it. 100%. So, if there's a DU event going on near you, you might go check it out. Spend a little bit of money with them because uh, they do good work. We're also brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Don't know how many dates are left, but give Jeff a holler. 940-658-3172. If you're, if you want a dove hunt, could yep. you could you still come dove? I've got some dove here? hunting, a little bit of dove hunting days left. We're I've almost got some, to June. I do have some goose. I've got a couple days left in November. Everybody wants to come shoot that trophy spec early in the year. I got some November dates. Holler at me at nine four zero six five eight three one seven two or www.stanfieldhunting.com. Also brought to you by Alpha Outdoor Specialties, home of the Stanfield Stool. Listen, it's twenty twenty. You should not be sitting on a bucket anymore. 20, what, what year is this? It's 2020, 2022. 2022. <laughs> you should not be sitting on a bucket anymore. I'm stuck in the past, Jeff. Uh, the Stanfield stool, it's sturdy. It's reliable. It's got a backrest. It's beautiful. You don't need to be sitting on a bucket anymore. It's bad for your hemorrhoids. It's bad for your back. Get you the Stanfield stool. Or if you've got another iteration of the Stanfield stool, tell them what you want built. And the guys over at Alpha Outdoors, they can get it done. Send them up the uh, dimensions, and they can do it. Great people over there. We had him on a couple, two months ago or something like that. So take a listen to that podcast. But it's a lot of fun. Um, And I am looking forward to sitting on the Stanfield stool. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. The boys up there in Spokompton make a hell of a lesser call. The 206 is my favorite call. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, the PCD is the best duck call that's on the market. I mean, you cannot go wrong with the PCD. It's a single read barks at them i love it it's all that i use whenever i duck hunt and uh the 206 man it's a lesser call rips on them um it's a little bit shorter so if you're an intermediate goose caller the 509 is what you need to look for and i mean they're going all in on the turkey lineup so check them out for great deals and go they got a facebook page where they release hot buys so it's uh pacific calls or something like that it's a private page join it and um get access to one-of-a-kind calls or check them out pacificcustomcalls.com we're also brought to you by boss shot shells bismuth is the way to go compares so closely to lead listen dove season is going to be ramping up here before we know it 15 million dove each year die from lead poisoning we don't need legislation on this we don't need congress to tell us what we need to do if we want to enhance the dove numbers Start shooting boss at them. It compares to lead. It's a little bit more pricey, but that's just the way it goes. Listen, put your money where your mouth is. 15 million dove a year die from lead poisoning. That's unacceptable. Switch to bismuth. Uh, you'll never go back. I use it. Uh, I use the 3.5 blend whenever I'm out waterfowl hunting, and that is my go-to load. It's a premium load. It's a hot and heavy load. Uh, BossShotShells.com. Bismuth. Can't say enough about it, so you need to go check them out. 
We're also brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. Mr. Alex Langbell has taken his, uh, his career as a first responder, and he's put all that knowledge into making the field trauma kit. It's got everything that you need. If you've got a hole, it can, it can uh, stop bleeding and keep you warm. Everything in there, it's designed perfect for whatever you might run into out there in the duck or goose blind. Every vehicle needs to have one. Every blind bag needs to have one. Be prepared for the unexpected. He also has the patented quick-release system. Listen, you, you snap Fido in, pull a little cord, and away he goes whenever you're ready for him. But in my opinion, there's no reason that you should not have your dog uh, harnessed in, no matter how highly qualified you think he is. All it takes is one accident, and we're looking at a different morning. Uh, he's got check cords made himself. He's got stainless steel dog bowls. They don't Bacteria does not grow on it, so you don't have to worry as much. Uh, about nasty dog food and water bowls. So check them out. Gun Dog Outdoors and take care of your four-legged hunting buddy. We're also brought to you by Die Bomb Industries. Squad Fest will be here before we know it, July 15th and 16th. We hope to see everybody out there. We'll be up there in St. Louis. Uh, you think it'll be a little bit cooler this year, Jeff? No. The beer's cold. The beer's good. It was a, it was a very, very good time. Second year ought to be even better. Uh, the calling contests were great to, to watch. So <clears throat> come on out. Check them out. July 15th and 16th in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. It'll be a great time. Come shake our hand. We look forward to seeing everybody. And if you're in the market for the best silhouettes on the market, check out Dive Bomb Industries. Be sure to get the bags. It's the best part of Dive Bomb is that they all pack up nice and neat, and I can keep my freaking trailer organized. DiveBombIndustries.com. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck, maker of the best A-frame that's on the market. Two by four blind, fit four grown men. It's durable it's sturdy it's reliable it holds stubble well uh and their spinners are the best they're waterproof they accidentally take a spill in a lake no big deal shake it off dry the dry the battery off and away you can go again check them out at luckyduck.com no matter what you're looking for they got something for you they got goose flappers that work excellent uh we used them last year towards the end of the year trick those weary speckle bellies into submission so uh, if you're looking for a spinner a flapper a-Frame, Coyote Hunter, they got it all for you. LuckyDuck.com is the way to go. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it is not the duck. The Missouri Boat Ride blend is the best. It's all I can drink now. I have been getting to where uh, Missouri Boat Ride topped with a little bit of high velocity. Really just gets the engine running there, Jeff. So you're shooting whiskey in the morning? High velocity is their blend. High velocity blend. Okay. We'll do a, do a little blending action. I'm, I'm like Starbucks, Jeff. Don't worry about what I've got going on. They're going to be at Squad Fest, so um, be sure, say hello to them. Actually, I think most of our sponsors are going to be there. But anyway, uh, Dirty Duck Coffee shipped straight to your door. You can sign up for their membership, and you don't even have to order. You just sign up for that, tell them how often you want it delivered, and it'll just show up there. But you should get the Missouri Boat Ride. We're also brought to you by the best waders that are on the market, Shin Gear Waders, nylon made, the boot is comfortable, uh, and they've got the best guarantee in the waterfowl world. They will stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. Customer service is something that is lost in this day and age, but not over there at Shin Gear. Uh, so let's say you're walking, you stick a hole through your boot, send it to them, they'll get it turned around in a reasonable manner, and they'll get them right back out to you. The guys over there are great. I mean, they, they got a hell of a product. It's tough. It's durable. It's breathable. 
and it works. That's the best part is it actually works. You can buy one pair of waders and get through the hunting season. It's not like other companies where you got to buy several sets just to have one. Not at Shin Gear. So check them out, shingear.com. We're also brought to you by the boys up there, Langdon, Missouri, Looking Glass Duck Club podcast, Logan and Rebel. He's up there selling that fertilizer, Jeff. Spreading that cow shit. Spreading that cow shit. They're hilarious to listen to, and they're great guys. Just also. good people, good, do a lot of good things for a lot of people, have a great podcast, funny. Don't listen to it with your kids <clears> in the car. And it's growing. Go to their Patreon account, donate to their Patreon, and uh, you can have access to their entire library. They like the conspiracies, which so do I. So it's a lot of fun to listen to. Check them out, Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey. Mr. Brandon Bing has fought the supply chain crisis. Can't get bottles now, but the man has found them, and he's now shipping Bangtail Whiskey. It is a beautiful, beautiful whiskey that I highly recommend everybody should have on their liquor cabinet. Bangtail Whiskey is a traditional corn mash whiskey aged in charred new American oak barrels. You'll find a pleasant aroma of vanilla and spices before galloping into notes of nougat, sweet corn, and a lingering caramel finish. Built on a dream aged 25 years, it is a handcrafted whiskey to create the perfect sip no matter how you drink your whiskey. I prefer uh, whiskey sours. You do you, boo. Pour it over ice, just in a glass, however you want to do it. But Bangtail should definitely be in your liquor cabinet. That's it. Come out to Squad Fest in the middle of July and see me and Andy. And all of our, most of our sponsors. Yeah, most of our sponsors will be out there, and Andy will be there. Thank you very much, and God bless you. But mainly Andy will be there. All right, boys and girls, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by David Schusler of Ducks Unlimited. We talk about all the fantastic work going on over there at Ducks Unlimited, and... Um, I tell you what, they're a great organization, and we find out on this podcast that 80 cents out of every dollar goes right back into the Ducks. So um, it's a well-run organization that uh, we should be uh, donating our money to because they are fighting for duck hunters and duck numbers up and down the flyways, every flyway. So um, great conversation with him and uh, enlightening. Yeah, it is. So we hope that you enjoy it, and we hope that you will go support uh, Ducks Unlimited. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast, brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. You're looking a lot slimmer since that uh, that 5K that you did. I did. I did I did more the than waddle. 5K. The waddle, I did about eight and a half miles Saturday night. Look at you. Saturday. Look at, look at you go. Yep, between, between drinks, because I actually had about four crown and sevens that night. Mm. So No wonder you couldn't I waddled find, from no bar, you to you bar, couldn't bar to bar to bar to bar. The bar. I found an Uber. I just found a ride home. Yeah. I do want to do a shout out 
to Shane at Cedar Ridge, him and his wife. Great people walking by. We're fixing to get an Uber. Kid has a T-shirt on. He said, hey. I said, hey, Cedar Ridge. He said, hey, you want to do a podcast together? And next thing I know, we're in their car, and they took us back, and so I didn't have to wait 30 minutes for an Uber. Jerry Jones has got a wonderful place, but they need to get that Uber deal worked out. Okay, with us today from Germantown, Tennessee, the head cheese at Ducks Unlimited is what we're going to call him because he's the head cheese with Ducks Unlimited <laughs> here today with us, Mr. David Schusler. David, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I don't know if I've ever been called the head cheese of Ducks Unlimited, but we'll pretend I am today. How about that? We can pretend. How many bosses do you have at Ducks Unlimited? One. Then you're pretty close to the head cheese then. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> two. Actually, two, if we're going to put it in that context. I have a question about your your waddle. Did you do it in um, waders? Because apparently that became the big thing with the DU Dash was people doing 5K in their waders. I'm a plus-size man. I don't do anything in waders. Yeah, Jeff Jeff hires people to do things in their waders. Yes, I'm not. And Jeff is a pointer. I could have the greatest waders made. Shin Gear makes the best waders on the market that are comfortable and stuff. And I promise you, Jeff's going to be on the podcast with us next Wednesday. And if he offers to send me some waders, I'm going to tell him, no, thank you, because I'm not ever wearing waders again in my life, I hope. Wow. That's saying a lot because Shin Gear's good waders. They're right here where I am. Yes, yeah, they, they are. are. They, it's nothing against their product. If I was going to wear waders, I would wear Shin Gear waders. I'm telling you right now. But I don't plan on wearing waders. I do not understand how God created an ark through Noah, and we have boats. Why you need waders? What are you talking about? You don't here? need a boat in Arkansas to hunt. There's water everywhere. You, I mean, waders, you can use a boat. No. Yes, you can. Uh, you can't. You, yes, you can. You hunt the, out of a boat in a blind. The boats, the the water's four or five inches. They got mud motors. <laughs> Jeez, you're I'm, you're putting, I'm, a, you're putting, I'm a lazy man. You're putting way more effort into not going to get the decoys than it would to just be walk out fifteen yards and pick up your decoys with fat, waders. Fat guys and methamphetamine users are the same. We find all kinds of ways to get our junky stuff instead of just doing the work because we're lazy. Yes. If you think about it, a meth head will do anything in the world. He'll still copper out of a wall, but he won't get a real job. He'll work his ass off to get $2.47 in copper to go buy a hit. A fat guy will find a way to get out of being having to do a lot of extra strenuous work. I have never, ever wore waders and thought, boy, this is fun. <laughs> ever, not one time in my life. Mm. Have you, David? Yeah, I have. I've worn waders a whole lot and shot a lot of ducks and thought this was a whole lot of fun. The shooting the duck part is fun. But that's just me. Have, have you dry field shot ducks? Oh, absolutely. What's and, and love it. Okay. And, and my new thing because of this influx of speckle bellies into Arkansas is dry field shooting specks. And it's like Canada in the natural state. But there are days I still have to put on waders to go out and that flooded to them. When, when you shoot those geese or ducks on that dry field, you've never said to yourself, boy, this sure is nice not having to wear waders today. Not one time you've ever said every that. Every time I pull. No, every time I pull the trigger. <laughs> That's, see, there's my point. He's I've he's converted now. He realizes now that he may just be dry field. You can't teal hunt in a dry field. you got to hunt water for teal. You've got a son that can wear the waders and put the decoys out. That's what I'm saying. You've outsourced wearing waders. That's right. That's what I have. Let's talk about Ducks Unlimited. So the 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 Waddle 
was something new that y'all come up with this year. And people were doing and it's, it in waders. Yeah. They were doing it in waders, uh, bikes, kayaks. Like the, the group out, and we, we, we got down to where we had 49 states signed up. And we needed Hawaii. And we really wanted somebody in all 50 states to participate in this. So we have a retired regional director from Nevada who lives in Hawaii. His name's Mike Carrion. And somebody called him and said, Mike, we got to have Hawaii. So he has this kayaking group out there. I'm sure they kayak fish. And he talked to him. He said, well, let's do it in our kayaks. So there are all kind of different ways people were waddling, throttling their waddling. And it's going on. Uh, it goes on till the 12th, correct? Yeah, it's going on right now. Yeah. Um, first time event, really just one of those, you know, kind of non-traditional events that, that we've learned more about as we've, you know, moved through this, this pandemic stuff. And um, we didn't know how it was going to do, but we, as of this morning, there's over 2,000 people across the U.S. and Canada and We've got them over in Japan, service service men and women stationed over there um, who are DU supporters who said, well, we'll do it over here. So uh, it was really neat, it was, or it is really neat because it's ongoing. It'll be interesting to see how many people uh, participate in it. They're having fun. We've raised some money, you know, that we're, like with all the money we raised, we put back into waterfowl and wetlands conservation. So. This time of year, it's kind of slow in the traditional event sense, um, you know, kind of like sports. You have to take a break at some point, rest and train. And the summertime is our time of the year to do that. Uh, but a lot of these events like this um, that, that aren't those traditional big dinner events with the raffles and the auctions uh, are going to start taking place over the summer. So it's fun. It's really neat. When is peak time? Because uh, we had some gentlemen out here um, yesterday, and they were taught they sell uh, leather goods for water. They make leather le- leather lanyards and leather uh, duck straps and stuff like that. And they were kind of talking about the summer dip that they're kind of going through right now because everybody's fishing and they're on vacation. And mm-hmm. um, from what I have heard and what I have seen in my time in this industry is kind of around mid July, after the Fourth of July, people's brains start to start shifting towards waterfowl hunting in the fall is that is that accurate to say i I think overall holistically yes uh different parts of the country i think that switch tips a little bit sooner Mm -hmm. and as as somebody who was born and raised in the deep south um when i thought duck hunting or ducks unlimited it was something that you know kind of started happening in november and december and january well as as uh, I grew in my role in Ducks Unlimited and started to work with people in northern Minnesota or Montana. You know, they're starting to hunt ducks the beginning of October, big duck season. Mm-hmm. A- and so they're generally done by the time we're opening up in the southern states. So I think it's a little earlier for, for those that are up bumping the Canadian border. Uh, but it's it's overall, you'll see in July, early August, that's really when we see a lot of the uh, interest in volunteering for DU, somebody's thought about it over the summer or they've seen an article in a magazine or heard something on a podcast, and we'll start to see that type of interest really start to pick up in, in late July. What What is the biggest DU chapter when it comes to fundraisers? Ooh, um, it changes a little bit from year to year. 
Um, and there's a group of about 10 chapters out there that fight it out every year to see who's going to be the biggest. Uh, Houston, Denver. Uh, there's one up in Minnesota that actually is an ice fishing contest. It's called Fishing for Ducks, and it's out of Garrison, Minnesota. And in the years that the ice is perfect and the weather's perfect, their event can be so big that they play with some of those big boy traditional chapters um, that, that just hold the big dinner events. Seattle would be another one. Um, Chicago's been up there a couple of times. So um, uh, Lafayette, now, you know, now I'm going to have people calling me after this going, why didn't you mention us? I know how that feels. <laughs> so, Houston, I can But those are just sure. some of the ones that come that come to mind. So the guy who's wanting to get a bargain on some art and some DU stuff, those are the ones you want to avoid because you're going to way Absolutely. overpay for that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know if you overpay. It's what the market is that night. Yes, I understand. But if, <laughs> yeah, but if you're if if you're looking for a if you're looking for the shotgun of the year, um, which you know we have at every single dinner event. Yeah, I, I think the the opportunity to buy one in Knox City, Texas, is going to be a little bit better to buy it lower than it would be going to Houston. I would think so, too, because I went to – we went to an event me and Tony did in Wichita Falls uh, in February, I believe, and it was just a dinner thing. It was, it was not a traditional big dinner. It was a um, – I don't even remember what it was called. It had a different name for it, but Grill and Chill or something, and there wasn't a lot of people bidding on stuff, so our table won like 13 guns. Sitting at our, well, that's awesome. At yeah, our, I think that's. I think they called that one. And the Wichita Falls chapter is a great chapter. Um, has been for years. I think they called that one the grilling and chilling event. That's what it was. But anyways, there wasn't a whole lot of people there. We spent a lot of money, and the guys at our table spent a whole whole lot of money. Me and Tony were definitely the poor guys at our table. <laughs> but uh, everybody else there gets to go on vacations on a private jet. I fly in the back of a commercial jet when I go, so that was the difference in our table. But we, we win like 13 guns at our table, and it was a really good event. And I was thinking to myself, most events, you're not going to get that kind of deal because there's so many – there's big money there and there's a lot. Your money went a lot further at that little event than it did a big event. And that's why sure. I was curious. And But I had a kid here the other day that was telling me that the biggest, the biggest events now are the college events – I thought Texas A&M had the biggest. He said Ole Miss is bigger than Texas A&M's. Is that true? Well, this year, and and that's you know we so we can look at what we call our university events, and we and we rank them differently than we do our adult events. Uh, and and this year, well, it's not done yet. Let, first of all, let me say that it's not done yet. Uh, we have another twenty three days left or, until. Uh, until our fiscal year is done. But this year, Ole Miss did have a larger event than Texas A&M. And Texas, Texas A&M is one of those university chapters that has just been a powerhouse for forever. And the, the number of volunteers in our adult ranks, as well as the staff at DU that have come through that Texas A&M chapter is, is pretty remarkable. LSU has a very large... Uh, university chapter, North Carolina State, which shout out to all my my Wolfpack family out there. That's a chapter I started when I was a regional director living in Raleigh, is a very large chapter. Um, and then here's a strange one. 
Milwaukee School of Engineering. Wow. MSOE. They have played at that level with those big um, uh, Big 12 and, and old Big 12 and Southeastern Conference schools and ACC schools uh, for years and years. So shout out to the to the boys and girls up at Milwaukee School of Engineering. How do the how do the college events differ from the uh, like adult events like what Jeff and them went to? A lot more better looking women. But I mean, is it the <laughs> sa- yeah, is it the same general setup, a dinner and a raffle? It is the the biggest difference. That it is it is one hundred percent managed, organized, and held by uh, students of that university. Right, Aggie, and Aggies is, are good bosses. <laughs> it's a great concept because of the life, le- life lessons that you learn putting on any size Ducks Unlimited event. And I, I think back to my time in school, um, it would have been great to, to understand the budgeting and the return on investment and the need to go out and uh, make sure that you have customers there and all of those type things. Um, a, lot, a lot of people, when they think about our university chapters, they think about well, it must be uh, biology students or, you know, folks that are looking to get into um, I- into that end of the industry that are doing it. It's a lot of business majors as well. And we've, we've actually seen the popularity of the university program go down now into high schools. And we have, uh, we have high school chapters and it's in the schools support it because they are learning to budget and plan and do all of those things in the same way that you you know have a glee club or you have a key club or a sevenette club um we now have ducks unlimited clubs uh in high schools across the country which is really neat it's really really neat well the lessons are invaluable because like you said you're 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 getting you're getting a taste of kind of what the real real world's going to bring you. You got to learn how to budget, you've got to learn how to plan, you got to learn how to event coordinate, and you've also got to um you know, you got to get used to talking to people and spreading the message if if you're ever gonna, if you want to succeed in life. So, um, I it, think the earlier that you can do things like that, the better. It, absolutely. And and what we see now we've we've done this long enough at the university level we've seen that we're actually building duck hunters by doing this. Mm-hmm. And there are so many of those young adults who are on a campus who might already um, be doing something in the outdoors that are fishing, um, or maybe they've, you know, they're a lifelong deer hunter, but they haven't gone duck hunting. And they join the committee as just a, you know, I want to join something. I want to get, get involved in some way. And the last time that, I looked at the science, 20% of the non-duck hunters that were joining their university committees were duck hunters, avid duck hunters by the time that they left school. And, you know, we can, we can argue, and, and I'm real good at it, how many duck hunters, how many waterfowlers do we have in this country? Um, while we can debate and argue what that number is, I can assure you it's not growing exponentially. So this program bringing more people into that lifestyle um, who will support conservation, but also support our right to waterfowl hunt and have, you know, work towards sustainable populations of waterfowl to harvest, I think is a good thing. Yeah. One thing I've always been impressed with about Ducks Unlimited was the business model that y'all come up with after the initial, what Ducks Unlimited was started for. You have zoned in 
on those guys that go to the country club. And, and I, I, I witnessed this firsthand at Wichita Falls 25 years ago. I didn't have any money then at all, but I would go to the DU deal, you know, 50 bucks to get in and I might have a hundred dollars to buy raffle tickets and I hope I got lucky and win something. And there was a guy that owned a paint and body store in Wichita Falls. He's never in his life had ever hunted ever. But he had two or three hot little honeys sitting with him at his deal and his buddies. And he bought $10,000 worth of stuff at that DU event. Mm -hmm. To this day, he's never hunted at all. But Ducks Unlimited got $10,000 of his money. And for three or four years, he went every year and bought stuff all the time. Right. Just to impress his friends and because they were all going. And I thought, my God, them guys got this down to a science, boy. They're they're getting non-hunters to go spend money to help the hunters. That's a smart deal. And I, the guy wasn't against hunting. He just was not a hunter. It was not his wheelhouse. Yeah, and probably felt good about the support. That's probably not the only uh, event that he went to that year in his community that he supported that he didn't have a personal connection to. Right. Right. But, it's, but obviously there was somebody in the community that sold him a ticket and made him feel good that what we're doing supports a good cause. Sold him a and table. we probably all, you know, have done that. Um, I mean, I've, I've been asked to go to events and got there and got a couple of beers under my belt. And, wow, that looks, I'm going to bid on that tonight. Well, you know, and that was good for that organization, too. So it is, I, it's part of the the decades-old uh, recipe of, of what we do to raise money to do our conservation work up on the breeding grounds in important places in the U.S. And I think what's it's important for people to understand is waterfowl hunters are not going to be able to fund the work that needs to be done by ourselves. There's just not enough of us, whether there's 750,000 or 1.5 million, right? We can, again, we can argue that number. It's, there's not enough of us to fund what needs to be going on in Saskatchewan and Alberta and in the Dakotas and everywhere else. Um, so part of that magic is our volunteers and our local chapters bringing their people inside of their sphere of influence in to help us fund that work. So what do you think that the number is? Do you think it's 1.5 or do you think it's much, much lower than that? Waterfowl hunters. <clears throat> Uh, this is a David Schusler yes, answer, course. not not a Ducks Unlimited answer, because DU does really not have a, a play in any of that. Right. I don't think it's 1.5. I think I think the number is um, lower than that. Um, I think that it's also greatly skewed versus where it used to be. I think that in the South, where there is still a heavy duck hunting ethic inside of our outdoor community, we are seeing an increase in waterfowl hunters. I can look at places that I used to hunt in high school when I was in college, right out of college, and the number of people hunting there blows away what I used to see. At the same time, I can talk to people in Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan, and they will tell you that they don't have near as many hunters as they used to. So that makes it that makes it a confusing argument because there are people um, who are seeing a decline. Mm-hmm. But there are there is no doubt if you go to Biomeda waterfowl management area outside of Stuttgart, there are more hunters trying to get on that waterfowl management area today than there were back in the 1980s. Right. See, I, I, I'm with you on that. I don't think there's near the hunters. Me and Andy have this debate a lot because he's like, well, you can just look at the numbers. 
when I was a kid growing up in the seventies, I went to school. I went to school at an elementary school that didn't have a lot of money, so we were one of the only kids that hunted it. You know, I had another friend of mine that whose dad hunted too, but it wasn't a lot of hunters. But if you went to some of the other elementaries, it wasn't uncommon to have families that hunted together. Nowadays, it's hard to find families that hunt. But you used to go anywhere in the Midwest, in every town during waterfowl season in the upper Midwest, there was everybody went hunting, duck hunting, and goose hunting and stuff. You don't see that like you used to anymore. I think that Phil right. Robertson and them was very good at getting kids interested in waterfowl hunting again. People, a lot of what duck hunters got sick oh, during Duck Dynasty guys. They were good for getting the message out about Christianity and duck hunting and conservation and all that stuff. But we do not have the hunters now that we used to have because so many kids aren't used to guns anymore like they do. You go to big school in California, big high school there, there ain't a kid there that hunts at all. Right. I, I think it I think it was and and I believe you're spot on with the with uh you know the duck dynasty and what that was able to do. I also believe that um the long, long running liberal season package that we have right now has offered an opportunity for people to stay in the the sport as well um it, you know there's when you you have those that two times a year i have some cousins that way i mean they're avid deer hunters right don't miss a saturday or sunday during dove season but they duck hunt one or two times a year if you go down to 30 days those are the ones that drop out but because, um, and, and I say 30 days, 30 days in the Atlantic and Mississippi, I think it's 74 in Texas and 108 out in the Pacific Flyway. But when you go down to a, uh, a shorter season length, you see some of those drop out. Um, so it's enabled people to stay in it longer with the way that we're managing it. And I think we're managing it well. I think we were chasing populations back in the 70s and 80s with the point system. And, and I think science and just, and, and just, the federal governments in Canada and the U.S. getting better at what they did allowed us to say we don't have to chase these populations anymore. We can take a more mature look at this and smooth out these peaks and valleys on how many days we let people hunt and how many birds they can shoot every day. So do you think that the 1.5, because uh, I just looked it up, 1.5 million waterfowl stamps were sold last year. Now you can argue how many of those people you know, like you said, how many of them hunted more than the one weekend that they went to deer camp? Um, do you think that those numbers are skewed because people are buying their license for something else and say, oh, hell with it, just throw on a, a waterfowl stamp? It goes to conservation or where do you think yeah. that they get that number from? Yeah, I, I think that's a I think that's a challenge in it because of the sportsman's packages. Right. Um, and, and the, and the people who just, yeah, put it on there in, in case I go, I want to go ahead and have that stamp. Right. I mean, I'll use myself as an example. Um, when I buy my, my out of state Florida saltwater fishing license every year, because, you know, I still go back home a little bit to go saltwater fishing. Do I want the reef angler free stamp yeah put that on there right. well i very rarely do i go grouper fishing but i still want to buy it just in case right i'm going to do that and the snook permit and all those other things and i think we've been conditioned to make sure that we have all those things that we need to have and that's so to me that's what makes it a challenge to actually know exactly how many people out there are hunting right that makes sense and and uh 
boy, if that is the case, I would really like to see something change so that we could get an accurate barometer on how many waterfowl hunters we are gaining or losing, conversely, to maybe see what we're doing. Like you said, I didn't even think about the combination packages where you just get, like here, you get super super combo and I think you got everything. So Yeah, and, and I know that the states... And the federal government, they want that number as you know as bad as Ducks Unlimited does. Right. Um, and and I and I think I, I know that they're working towards how do we, um, you know, get that accurate count because it benefits everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how we make decisions to manage this vast North American waterfowl conservation plan, um, it'll that that's going to allow for better decisions when yeah. we get that. On hunting license, I'll tell you what's always shocked me. Um, Arkansas has as many out-of-state duck hunters in Missouri probably as any 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 state, I would guess, with out-of-state waterfowl hunters. All the people that live in the state of Arkansas complain about the out-of-state hunters coming in, even though it helps the economy and stuff. I've never understood why the state of Arkansas just don't go to $500 per license. You know, Then the in-state people can't complain because they can take that $500 and do more with it to create more places to hunt. But that is a big problem in Arkansas right now is the out-of-state versus in-state hunters. Am I correct on that? Um, or a lot of debate on that. There's a lot of debate on it, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's I think for the state, it's a balancing act of, of how do we continue to keep those revenue sources coming in, uh, but, it, but not, you know, price it out. Now, one of the things that they did do, and it's been one or two seasons now, um, is that for the public areas, and I think that's where most of the angst originates, is yes. are the public areas. Um, they have created where um, there are weak blocks where out-of-state hunters are able to come in and hunt the public areas. And so there are times during the season where um, to get on a state area, um, Dave Donaldson or, or Biomita, um, you you have to live in state, and so I think that that's that's really, it, it, based on the people that I've talked to, um, that smoothed out some of the frustration because um, there are times in the season where it is it is just Arkansans that are that are allowed on those historic areas that year in and year out still have really good hunting. I'm trying to find the exact number because Jeff has a real bad tendency of just talking and then there not being much facts, but I can't find the... Which, what am I talking about that don't have Well, no you facts? pointed out Arkansas and everything. And Arkansas, it's Arkansas a huge debate. It is a debate no, it, there. It, it I can tell you, living, living a stone's throw from Arkansas and choosing to do most of my hunting in Arkansas, he is correct on that. Um, and, Thank you for saying that. And... There's a lot of out-of-state hunters that come into Arkansas. A lot of them that go to Texas, they're just spread out. Right. Um, there's a lot of them that go to North Dakota, but it's only two weeks out of the year. <laughs> um, a whole lot that went the past couple of years because of the restrictions of uh, people being able to get into Canada with cards and all that other stuff. North Dakota will never be what North Dakota was 10 years ago. I'm not talking about hunting. I'm talking about the people in North Dakota welcoming all the out-of-state hunters, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of that change because there's a lot, there's just things have changed. This new digital trespassing stuff they have, they're, they're changing the game up there and it's going to hurt some of them small towns. I, yeah, I think, um, I think that whole knock on the door 
and can I hunt your, you know, back 40? I think that has changed with the access to um, plot maps and things of that nature on everybody's phone. And I think that I think that doors are getting knocked on a whole lot more than they used to because it's a it's a level playing field now. And, you know, I've I've been up in, you know, doing freelance hunting in Saskatchewan where we had all the maps and, you know, you have to go to the county, uh, whatever they call it, the, the equivalent of a county courthouse in Canada. And you get your big blue book and you've got it spread out and who owns this. And it was a lot of work to find out who owns this thing. Now let's go find them. Now it's just a push of a button on a phone. Right. So there are a lot of phone calls. Landowners are getting a lot more phone calls than they used to about can I hunt your place. We, we broke the law in North Dakota one year by accident. We hunted a place. We saw a wheat field and it had geese all over it and we hunted it and we had a good hunt. I did not realize at the time that an unharvested crop is winter wheat. It just it didn't register to us that that would be, for whatever reason. We're thinking a wheat that down here an unharvested wheat field has got heads of wheat on it, and you're fixing to cut the wheat. Well, green a green wheat field is considered unharvested wheat. They hadn't it hadn't headed out and had not been harvested, so we hunted it without the it wouldn't have a posted sign on it. Well, you can't hunt unharvested crops without being posted. Well, the next an unharvested year, crop doesn't have to be posted. Right. Well, the next year we went up there and they had a sign that yeah. said you cannot hunt this wheat field. It is unharvested. But and we the, shot the shit out of the geese. There on were five morning. of us in the pickup, and we all looked at it like, because like the wheat was an just, inch or two tall. Just, just green wheat. Just green wheat down here. Yeah. But we learned. Part, yeah. You know. Yeah. Went wheat. No harm, no <laughs> foul. But we we learned. But yeah, that was uh, a boo boo on our part. But yeah, I mean, it is so easy with with these apps now. I mean, kids can go anywhere. They can hunt any state. Buy the membership for that state, and they have unlimited access to every landowner that that's in that state and i think like you said i think a lot of farmers get tired of their phone ringing off the hook four or five times a day yeah. where it used to just be a handful of hunters up there and you might get one knock on the door when people scouted it and now it's just it's they're constantly having to tell people no and with the with being able to post your land digitally now in north dakota i think a lot of farmers are just going to opt for that and push up a button their phone is their land is now posted and they didn't even have to get out there and drive any signs in the ground so hunting's changing right well think about this i was i was having this conversation the other day with somebody used to be you'd wake up let's say there's a storm front approaching right every single local tv station to try to figure out what everybody's saying about the weather because once you left the house or the club or the lodge or whatever that's it you're on your own now you have your phone and you can get it down to the minute that that lightning and thunder is going to hit. It's just changed. I mean, ev everything everything has changed um, in the favor of the hunter with what we carry in our pockets. Yes, without a doubt. So I want to know with we've kind of, we've come, we've come through COVID. How did uh, how did DU manage the event side of things and raising money when you couldn't meet in person? Was that kind well, of an we, oh it, shit moment? Like oh, what the hell are we going to yeah, do now? It was. It was. And going back to what we carry in our pockets, that's kind of what we turned to. So for when when eBay got popular, it was brought up that, hey, maybe we should get into this eBay stuff and selling some of our Ducks Unlimited merchandise that is at our events. 
And we said, absolutely not. We are going to hold the sanctity of the shotgun of the year and the decoy of the year and the print of the year. And by, by goodness, if you're going to buy it, you have to come to the event. Well, on March 20th in 2020, when I pulled that old rusty lever down and said, shut the event system off, it was a holy crap, what are we going to do? And we rethought that and said, well, in, in states where it is legal to do online raffles, where we had put a governor on it and said, uh, you know, state of South Carolina, you can only hold so many online raffles a year. We told them, go, go and hold as many as you want to hold. And we developed an online auction platform that it took us 17 days to build and launch. And we, what we realized is that we had been wrong that there is this appetite for people to bid on Ducks Unlimited merchandise and shotguns of the year and all of that over their phone in an eBay style. And it now we see that it did not impact our event system at all. So what we did is we went digital. When, when it was, we couldn't gather and you can't do anything. And, um, and you know, it's only been here recently that that the whole country can say that they're back in event halls full time. Uh, it's what allowed us to, to get through that pandemic and continue to put record breaking conservation on the ground, which we did throughout this pandemic. Uh, we weren't raising as much money as we were when we had all the events going, but boy, we sure did um, keep the organization healthy, at least our part of it and what the events bring in. So it was, you know, everybody's got them right by their, right by their, uh, in their pocket or right by their, their uh, computer every day. So we turned to what everybody's holding. That's fascinating. So what was, what was the thinking uh, before that? You, you just wanted these, these items to be pristine. <laughs> and, and, and like you said, like you can only get these at a DU event. Yeah. You didn't want to uh, murky the waters around these items. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm mature enough to tell you that I was I was the one that was the driving force behind that. I mean, I kept saying, and, and I had my staff coming to me on a regular basis saying, let us try this. And I would say, no, you know, we're, you know, no, we're not going to auction the shotgun of the year outside of an event. We were so scared that it would have a negative impact on those traditional events, or I was so scared, and that was either it was wrong or this pandemic just changed the dynamic of, of everything. But what we have found is there are people who have aged out of the going to a DU event. And, and you know, I've got my arms around that. That's, I can understand that. My father's one of them. So now we're giving them the opportunity to still kind of get that live auction um, experience from the comfort of their home. And as I think about it, there's parts of this country where the population just isn't large enough to justify having a Ducks Unlimited event. Now those people can be involved as well. Right. That makes I, sense. And there, we can hold, <laughs> we, we're doing online auctions across the country. I mean, they're, they're legal in every state. And if somebody went to ducks.org slash events and looked and then hits the auction tab at the bottom, they roll up from Oregon and New York. And it's fun because then you can play, all right, where can I go and get this piece of merchandise 
had a disc. Let me ask you a question that has always been one of my things because I've always been critical of any organization of any kind, Red Cross, Duxland, it doesn't matter what it is. And this is something that people want to know. Out of a dollar bill, how much that money gets spent on duck habitat? So if you take all of the revenue that Ducks Unlimited raises in a year at a minimum 80% of our revenues have to go towards mission. And we have built in, we have built in rules that we follow uh, through the year to ensure that that happens. Ducks Unlimited is a volunteer driven organization. So the people making the decisions are all volunteers from across the country. And our finance committee who combs through our budgets with fine tooth combs are ensuring that we hit that number. And normally that number is around 83, 84% efficient. Wow. Um, and, 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 and so it's, I think it's something that Ducks Unlimited doesn't take enough pride in is when you, we were 85 years old this year, we've never had a financial uh, scandal. I mean, our books are open. You can find them online. You can go to ducks.org. You can find our books and you can read top to bottom where we're spending, what we're doing. And to be 85 years old and to never have had any issues, I think it, I think it speaks to how well the organization. I don't think that, I don't think that it's talked about enough. And I don't think that you guys get the recognition that you guys deserve for being such an old company, I say that eighty-five years old, but you know you've never no, had <laughs> you've never had a financial uh, you never had a financial scandal, and you you keep your books open to where if anybody did have a question, they could just they can eat. It's on your website. Go look at it. If you got a problem yeah. with with where you think yeah. we're spending our money, go look. I think it's one of those things where we've done it for so long, we just have stopped talking about it. And it speaks to the power of the volunteers, not only those that manage the organization, those that hold the. Name my phone. All my shit's off. We, we have not had a problem. Uh, we haven't. We have, see y'all. I'm getting no skipping on my end. We've ne we hadn't had a problem like this. We switched to new internet provider and we have not had a problem one until today. Let me see. While we're talking about this, I can tell you right now, I'm impressed. If 80 cents out of every dollar goes to the Ducks, I think that's a great thing. I would bet you that's better than any other charity out there just about. And um, I, I, I think there are others in the conservation nonprofit space that I, I think are similar, but it's because they follow the Ducks Unlimited model. I was thinking more like the Clinton Foundation and the Red Cross <laughs> oh, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's... They got 2%. <laughs> that, that, well, there's, I mean, there's stories galore out there of how these things are started um, and don't follow the DU model. <laughs> no, Haiti's got $10 billion, and if you go to Haiti right now, you can't find where they've spent $10 anywhere. I wish Ducks Unlimited would advertise more of that because I think a lot of people would really like to know that. And y'all probably do. I just did not know that, but I think that's very recommendable or commendable. And I think that anybody out there would be really impressed to say, you know what, if I go to DU and I spend a thousand dollars a night, 
eight hundred dollars of that's going to the ducks. I mean, that's that's. I don't think anybody would ever have a problem with that. I want to know about how to start a chapter. Is there is there a you you mentioned population? There's a formula that kind of goes into that. How do how does one start a DU chapter for those people that are maybe toying with the idea today? Uh, go to ducks.org slash volunteer and send us a message. That's as easy and that's going to, and then that that's going to be filtered and goes to the right staff in the field. And um, is there any part of the nation that is not uh, picked over yet? Like, is are there places where you're wanting to expand uh, uh, and have a DU chapter at, or are we pretty well established? We're, yeah, we're established. I don't want to say we're saturated. I mean, there's always room for more, but we have full coverage around the the uh, the country. I, I would like a few more chapters in Hawaii. If anybody <laughs> is is listening on the Big Island, we need a chapter there. <laughs> we just, we but were, you know, it's go ahead. I'm sorry. It's not just starting new chapters. Um, if somebody's interested in joining an an existing chapter, there's. There's 2,400 of them out there, and they're, and they're full of like-minded people just like us. And it's, it's a place to expand a, a friend base. Um, it's a place to, to go and put your passion about waterfowl hunting to use um, in, in learning more about what Ducks Unlimited does and, and how we ensure or work to ensure sustainable populations of waterfowl so we get to do what we want to do every year when the cold fronts start coming south i don't think there's a lot of waterfowl hunters in hawaii because our podcast is worldwide we have more downloads in costa rica per week than we do in hawaii i believe that i think there's a lot of retired duck hunters in hawaii yeah you know and like you said earlier uh the traditional du member is starting starting to age out a little bit um I look at yeah. some of our hunters, and you know they've been lifelong DU guys, and they're, I think it's Steve Barber. Yeah, he's a lifelong, big time DU guy. Ran chapters everywhere, and I don't know that he does any DU stuff. He they had he's a dinner old. Like, he's been he's, doing it forever. Yeah, he's 106. <laughs> he was a waiter at the Last Supper, so he he's getting old. But I think that the, y'all's college deal. I think that is a great yes. target because yeah. you're building new 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 members. And plus, what this sounds really bad, but this is my my observation with young people, young people are not charitable like older people are. Now, older people have more money, but today's kids coming up do not think of tithing and giving to other things. They're, they're more selfish than we were growing up, I think. And so that's I, what I like about the college chapters. Yeah, it's, it's generational. We are seeing that there is a ethos inside of whatever, whatever they're calling the college-aged generation right now. I can't keep up with them. Um, but there's an ethos inside of that generation that seems to be swinging the needle back towards volunteering. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm 34 and volunteering wasn't really preached very much to me. So I right. can see the, the young kids now where it's swinging back. Yeah, Andy, I didn't want to call out your generation. Your generation is the gap generation. Yeah, the thirty, the thirty-four year old, the thirty, the mid thirties. Yep, yep. Yeah. I can that's, see that. That's the that's the one where it 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 what it wasn't somewhere inside of 
your not your personal upbringing, but that generation's upbringing, volunteering wasn't talked about as much as maybe it was for my generation or the one that's coming in uh, behind you. And 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 I say that, j- I, and I'm just that's not a personal opinion. That's just things that I've read in philanthropy uh, magazines and and newspapers. I wonder. He was raised in a household where people donated a lot of time and efforts to other things. But I'm wondering if that generation, my generation, the 35 year olds, were in a time where everything was kind of established and rocking and rolling pretty well to where to where we weren't needed. Like I think that's it. You wrote you rewind the clock 20 years when I was 17, uh, 15, mid mid teen. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Steve Barber was a lot younger then, and his generation of guys that are aging out now had a strong grip on these organizations and were constantly doing things, and kids like me weren't needed. Uh, yeah, I, I think, and, and I think that's, if you look at it across the country, that's what was going on, right? I mean, we were just, we were, we were rolling, and technology was, right, technology was starting to build, and we were in a, a pretty big shift inside of society about what was important and how we were using things. And I think, you know, technology is eventually going to slow down a little bit and we'll all be accustomed and used to it. Um, and then I think we'll just, we'll, we'll see exactly what we're seeing right now. And I have a son that's in college and, you know, it's all about volunteering. I mean, that's what they're telling these kids in their classes and when they come onto campus. And, and so that's, that's good. They, everything is a pendulum swing, right? Everything that in society is a pendulum swing. You know, it's funny, 20 years ago, if you went to a DU event, there wasn't nobody on a cell phone and there wasn't nobody texting anyone. But I mean, this goes to everything. This goes to little league baseball. I mean, it's, 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 it's baseball. It's, it's anything that's organized. The, 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 Big, put the big, the heyday of these organizations was twenty years ago, and that's when the most people were there. And then those people are aging out, and unfortunately, Jeff did a bad job. Jeff's generation of parents did a shitty job with their kids, and <laughs> that's how I look at it. I, I agree. It's with, not my fault. I agree with you on that parents. because I raised three boys, and you three are all semi-successful, I would say, but. Your ass don't even tip at Sonic, and you were raised better than that. I'm embarrassed about that. You should tip more at Sonic. That's, Sonic. that's my biggest thing I'm worried about at out of Sonic. life. At Sonic. <laughs> but me, me, me and Michelle, we, went, we, were, we ran the Booster Club. I was mayor. We, we were involved in every civic deal. Michelle was ahead of PTO. We did everything, and now you're coaching kid baseball. So you're, you're involved, but – Forever, we did that for 10, 15 years. And you had a lot of parents around us that did that. If you go and to those now we're all now, old and we're full. out. What What do you mean it's full? It's four. It's four people. That's four exactly people. right. When we were in Booster Club in a little town like we did, there was 30, 40 people involved in doing stuff. Now there's four people doing it and stuff. So our kids are not involved, but we also we ran everything we didn't i mean we just kind of took the reins like you said and i'm sure there's some du chapters around that's got the same guys running it for 30 40 years right is that that yeah there there are but i'll tell you that it's that's not a healthy that's not a healthy no sustainable model um we what what we like to see is that leadership turnover every two years 
the, the chair leadership of it. Now, sometimes that, that's just not going to happen, right? It's just you don't have the number of volunteers um, or somebody who's ready to step into the role. But um, the the churn of leadership is important. Um, you know, you talk about those Houston chapters in Denver. It's every two years, mm-hmm. and it's somebody else's turn to step in and and run those programs because we know from decades of doing this that that's what keeps it healthy. I I would agree because there's so many times you got Joe Bob that wants to run everything and he wants to do it his way for twenty or thirty years and doesn't want anybody to help do it, but then he bitches about not having nobody to help him, <laughs> and it happens. It's all over the place. I mean, it don't matter if it's if it's a booster club, if it's a Ducks Unlimited, whatever it is, a church fundraiser. You got that one guy or lady that wants to run everything and she doesn't want anybody else to come in and do anything, but she wants everybody to help and do what she wants them to do. And, and you're right. We need every organization needs new blood, new questions, and a rotation. Same thing with our damn Congress, our politicians. We need new politicians every two to four years. It would make things a whole lot better for our country. So every every charitable organization's got to be the same. Well, we know that it works, yeah. right? I mean, the Ducks Unlimited president serves for two years. Um, we have, you know, you can only serve as a senior vice president or a regional vice president for so long, a state chairman for so long, district chairman, area chairman, and it's it, and it's fresh ideas um, and just making sure that we don't create a stale environment. And, and that, again, I think that's what's helped us, the strength of that volunteer system, be successful as we have 85 years. So let me ask you this, and we'll start wrapping up here because um, Jeff's got to go judge people. Um, <laughs> y'all had a rider tagging along with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife doing their uh, survey. Do you have mm-hmm. any information as to as to how that went? Any duck number spoilers that you can give at this time? Uh, not yet, and and so it's it's. You mentioned that we had somebody tagging along. So yes. for those that don't know, Ducks Unlimited has nothing to do with those counts, right? right? That's all a function of Canadian Wildlife Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and then the states and provinces. So we kind of wait on the numbers, or we do wait on the numbers just like everybody else. I have seen nothing, nothing leaked um, about uh, the numbers of uh, maypond counts or waterfowl. But what I can share is this, and, and this is from talking with people who I work with who are on the ground both in Canada and the U.S. We are in much better shape this year than we were last year. If you go back and look at the, the moisture index this time last year, it's just scary. I mean, it's just red all over the map. Um, the Dakotas look good going into uh, or coming out of the winter, and now they're just full of water. Manitoba, water everywhere. Um, southeast Saskatchewan, a lot of moisture. Uh, west of uh, Saskatoon and then over into Alberta, it's still pretty dry. Mm-hmm. But we will have a much better, I can, I can, I feel comfortable saying this, production will be better this year than last year. But as waterfowl hunters, we have to remember that the breeding population was not as high as we would have liked to it have been returning. So don't expect 100 million bird counts and all the things that we got used to when we were in our heyday 10 years ago. It's going to be better. 
and we're certainly setting ourselves up to come out of this drought. Um, if we can continue to keep moisture up there next year, could be you know really really big if we get snowpack and all of that next year. But we dodged a bullet. We really dodged a bullet. We got rain at the right time. If we'd have had yep. another down year, it would have been real bad going into the future. Is that what you're saying? It would have been really really bad. And that rain, like we were, to put it in a football analogy, we were inside of the two minute warning Ooh. at the end of the game when we got that rain. Eesh. And then and then they got it. I yeah. mean, it was an onside kick, onside kick, <laughs> onside kick. <laughs> um, but but I feel I'm sleeping much better at night as an avid waterfowl hunter and have a tinge of excitement of what's coming next season just because I know it's going to be better than what we've been seeing. But I'm anxiously awaiting the reports to come out in early uh, July so I can do my analysis of it and dig in and try to figure out if I'm going to see more gadwell or widgeon this year. Well, we hadn't seen any widgeon at all in two years. It's been, I will tell you where I hunt on the Grand Prairie of Arkansas. It's amazing how few I've seen. I don't know where they're going. I don't know. Probably the same place the pintail in is because there are no pintail hens. Well, you just never see them, Jeff. We see flocks flocks of pintail drakes and, and we'll that's in two that, hands now, will be with i them. will say that's a common migration tactic that the pintail uses yes um the drakes will it, the drakes generally migrate together um and earlier now if you're seeing whole flocks in you know december i can't speak to that uh but but the time i lived in texas and hunted down on the coastal prairie down there, the flocks of pintail drakes we used to see during teal season was pretty amazing. And I had a biologist tell me the hens stay up there and do the last of their uh, brood rearing, and these old drakes like to take off from Mexico early. We, yes, ha- we, had a we have them in January, though. But you'll they're, see coming, flocks, they're coming back up. 150, and you'll see two hens. They're coming back or, up. Or, Andy, they're just getting there as warm as it's been <laughs> the past year. That, that, yeah. that could be the problem there. I'm Seriously, just, I'm, I'm I'm serious. Yeah, well, no, I don't I don't doubt you at all. Um, it it has been ridiculously warm. I am so ready. You talked about rain. I I just want a normal. I don't even know what a normal winter is, but I want cold weather, snow, and we got to get these birds moving again. Because I'm afraid what's going to happen long term if these birds continue to shortstop us. Um, wherever the hell they are, uh, what, what that's going to do uh, to the migration. If that imprints on generation upon generation of young birds. That's well, just the, your, your birds are stopping in Montana. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, where, where y'all out in West Texas, you're, you're getting birds from Montana. And I have a very close friend who works for DU. He and I hunt together at least once a year who lives in Montana, Barry Allen, and I get a, a weekly report of how many are you seeing, how many are you seeing. That's where your birds have been hanging out. And they're not hunting them because their season closes so soon. And it's all snow, ice, and cold weather. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, hopefully one day we'll get all that back. I know eastern Oklahoma and eastern Texas is getting hammered with thunderstorms again right now. They're really? flooding in Oklahoma City right now. It's crazy, but the rain, you know, it's we, – we, western Kansas, western Oklahoma, and western Texas did not get near the rains that we should have, and it's been pretty good the last two weeks. 
but it's been a dry year. But we, we at least during the drought of 2011 never had a three-inch rain like we did the other day. Right. So that was a good thing for us. So hopefully we got, we got some rain coming, and I hope that uh, Joe Pistardi is right, and we do have an early fall in August. That would be a no, wonderful I, thing. We need winter. We don't need I want winter. Just winter. Well, I want winter too, but uh, you got to start winter. You got to start cooling off early. And if we but get that's, early that's in the August, thing is we get we have fall and then it just stays fall until January. And then we get this late snowstorm. We go from 75 to 2. Well, I don't want at, it 110 in August, so I'll take some fall weather in August. Uh, you take all the fall weather you want, Jeff. I sure will. Dave, I moved. Uh, one, one thing, and just to talk about how quick it's changed, I moved to Memphis and started hunting the Grand Prairie, Arkansas, 15 years ago. The first five years I hunted, we iced out three times. We've iced out once in the past three years. Yeah. And I mean three times a season, we were resetting the clock, you know, with rice fields freezing up and even the timber, we've iced out one time in the past three seasons. It's unbelievable. But people in southern Louisiana want to blame the hop ponds, so. You know, you can't, t- you can't, uh, you can't, you know, you, you can only show them so much before they believe you. All right. Jeff has a full court docket. David, we appreciate your time here. Um, continue to do just fantastic work over there at DU. Um, We'd like to get you on again late August, right before hunting season starts, kind of go yeah. over numbers and forecasts and all that stuff Everything if you got time seeing. for us. I'll always have time for y'all. That would be great. We, we appreciate Perfect. that very much. I'd like to give a, um, our condolences to our friend Rebel Heron. He lost his dad cash last night. Uh, lots of prayers from us here. Good guys with the Lucky Glass Duck Club podcast and good friends of ours. So, And uh, it's not too late if, if people want to sign up for the DU Dash, right? They can sign Correct. up now. Go, It goes through this weekend, so it's not too Absolutely. late. Just go to ducks.org and go from there, right? That's correct. All right. And put put your waiters on. Put your waiters Do on. Make, waiters. make it interesting. <laughs> Jet Stanfield style. There you go. <laughs> David, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Right, thank Bye-bye. you. God bless you, bud. Have a great day. All right. I got to go to court. Big, big court day today. I hope not. I hope there's nobody there. How many are you judging today? I have no idea. Are you hungry? Am I hungry? What yes. Uh, they've done a study. Uh-huh. If you see the judge right after he's eaten you have a 50% better shot at getting off. Oh, I'm not hard to get along with anyways if you just don't lie to me. So, had had Amber heard, had the decision been uh, dropped after lunch, probably wouldn't be paying Johnny million, Johnny Depp 10 million. What's what Well, and what's it, amazing to me is that she's got 10 million dollars to pay. She doesn't. Her attorney said no. How much money does she have? She, somebody asked her point blank, "Can she pay Johnny Depp 10 million?" She said, "Oh no." How much money does he have? I don't know. I don't even know what the thing was about. Defamation of character. I know. I don't. I didn't watch any of it. Not interested at all. And, and I don't care. I mean, I don't care if he won or she won. You should care if he won. Why? The, I, I the, don't. I the, don't. Claims, the claims were false. This has set the Me Too movement back. Oh, yeah. They're 15 just, they're years. Way back. It has. Yeah. Monica Lewinsky should have done that a long time ago, and it didn't happen. Well. I don't care too much. I don't care anything about. Amber Heard, Johnny, I didn't watch a bit of it. I don't care if she pays him a dollar or if she pays him $15 million. I'm just amazed that that many people in America give two craps about what two Hollywood people do or don't do. I really do. I can't believe it took up the TV wipe. But whoever had the TV was doing good because they had a lot of people watching it because everybody was watching the damn thing. <laughs> Did you see Nate Burleson call out her attorney? No. She kept... Nate Burleson, the ex-football player? Yeah, he works for... He's like a CBS... Uh, News the guy? morning show. Oh, I don't watch no more. I don't either, shows. but I saw it all over. Um, she just kept like kind of blaming outside influences for what the jury found, and 
He said, you know, as an ex-NFL player, um, following a tough loss, I would always look in the mirror and see what I did wrong rather than continue to point the Oh, finger. the attorney was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she, her jaw went like this. Yeah. And all of his co-hosts went like this. He said that to her. Well, he needs to say that to her. But, but I don't. I don't care about them. I would much rather have seen the Epstein, the Maxwell trial. That that, and all that the case name. is too sensitive. We're not going to see it's that. It's not too sensitive. It's because they're covering it up stuff. <laughs> you would you so? seriously? Elon Musk called them out on that. Did mm-hmm. you see that? I saw bits and pieces. Did, did you see what he wrote? He said, "If the dust, do, he said, our DOJ and FBI is famous for leaking stuff. That's all they've done for the last three years. How come they haven't leaked out the people's named involved in the? He said, are they not doing their job? Well, and that's what we would like to see, though. Evidently, he was involved with Amber Heard. Who? Elon Musk. They don't have a damn thing to do with the Maxwell deal. She was overage. He's wanting to nobody push, push the attention. Nobody cares. So you're telling me that his his uh, his relationship with Amber Heard is is more important than uh, the underage kids. But and that's all them why people he's wanting to shift the attention. Nobody cares. He's shifting. Who cares? Pivot. Nobody cares what who, who he's dating. Pivot he's a grown past. man, and she's well, a grown he lady. He wasn't dating. Whatever he was doing with her, he nobody was paying cares. paying her. Nobody cares, though. He was, well. She's an adult. He's an adult. Nobody cares. But people care about what's on the Maxwell deal. They care about it. That's what we should be talking we about. We would have cared about it. We still do. I still mm-hmm. care. I still care. Anyways, I got to go. Bye. You got to go. Uh, that's all. So, evidently, you're awfully hungry because you're, you're getting pissy with me, so you're going to hand down a lot of, lot of harsh judgments today. Don't say that. Go. Well, you should eat. Uh, blood sugar is low. Go sign up for the DU Dash. Go to ducks.org. It is not too late. This weekend will be the last weekend. And put a put some put some waddle in your throttle. Do it in waders. Make it uh, make it tricky. That's how Jeff's going to do it this weekend. All right. Bye, everybody. Go check out all of our wonderful sponsors. Go check out Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Maker of the Stanfield Stool, Dive Bomb Industries, Squad Fest, July 15th, 16th, Boss Shot Shells, Pacific Calls, Shin Gear Waiters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Gun Dog Outdoors, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Bangtail Whiskey. <laughs>